The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo with big data and real-time and predictive analytics from the consumer to the enterprise. Learn how to help your organization move in exciting new directions. Here's your host, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you know you're in the right place. The buzz on the street today is a quote from Stacy Keebler. You know, the actress, model, dancer, cheerleader, retired professional wrestler. And she was on WCW and she was on Dancing with the Stars. What can I tell you? Here's the quote. I prefer being a small fish in a big pond. Hmm. I found this quote and it sounded good to me for our topic. So what are we talking about today? Well, when it comes to dealing with big data and its challenges and its opportunities, Big enterprise organizations may not have the agility to understand all of the implications and ramifications of big data and to prepare for dealing with it. Where can they turn for help? Well, you know the answer is obvious because the show is Startup Focus with Game Changers. So we're going to say the answer is lean, mean, agile, startups to the rescue. Why startups? Well, tech startups in particular offer fresh energy and new innovations, not only to big tech giants like Google and SAP, but also to help big companies in every industry stay viable in today's connected economy. And guess what? There's a bright side not only for the enterprise, but for the startup, because when the successful collaboration happens between new and older companies, sometimes big data companies acquire the startups at a great price, at a great time, and everybody is happy with the marriage. So what's the result? A win-win for all. So today we're going to be speaking about the reality of big data in the enterprise. Joining me on the panel today, three very smart guys. They're all interested in startups. Some of them are. First up, I'll be welcoming Christopher Carter. He said I can call him Chris, CEO of Aprio. Chris was on this series a couple of years ago. We're delighted to have him back. A newcomer to Game Changers will be speaking with Surendra Reddy, R-E-D-D-Y, the founder and CEO of a company called Quantiply. You can spell that yourself, just the way it sounds. And rounding out the panel is Mark Norona, startup engagement lead at SAP Startup Focus. And Mark was also on our series a couple of years ago. So let me start out by welcoming Chris Carter. And Chris has sent us an opening quote, just four words that pack a punch. The quote is from Napoleon Bonaparte, born Napoleon de Bonaparte, in August 1769, and he lived until May 1821. He was a French military and political leader who rose to prominence during the French Revolution and led several successful campaigns during the Revolutionary Wars. And here is the quote, and it's so apropos, Chris, to today. The quote is, war is 90% information. Chris Carter, welcome back to Startup Focus. How are you? I'm well, Bonnie. Good to be back. Good to talk to you again. 
Oh, we're delighted. I love the quote. Chris, Napoleon Bonaparte left us in 1821. We're now at the end of 2016. I'm not even going to do the math, but it's a long time. And he's talking about information. Tell me how you found the quote and how does it apply to our big data and enterprise topic, please. I found that quote many, many, many years ago, and I'll stop at that many, many, um, when I was studying at Georgia Tech and I was in the computer technology realm there. And I just fell in love with it because it really spoke to me about what I was doing on a day-to-day basis with data and different analogies around it. And as I grew into the man I am today and the businesses that I've created, it has held true every single place that I've been and created. Businesses need data to succeed. And lo and behold, this big data topic has come forward in the last five years, and it's relevant now as it was when Napoleon was there. Isn't that amazing? And Chris, if you think back to the days when he was waging wars and leading troops, what kind of information did they have? Did they have Pony Express? Did they have hand-delivered notes? <laughs> they didn't have telephone, a computer. What's a cell phone? Are you serious? Nothing was automated. Everything was at its mm-hmm. most manual and labored level. What do you think he meant at that point? What kind of information do you think he was getting or looking for? So um, Napoleon was himself a, a lover of history. He would track wars, weather patterns, winters, how long they lasted, what other commanders did when they fought against other countries. And so he would take that information and he would use that to fight his own battles. Unfortunately, not everything is always consistent, especially when it comes to weather. And of course, that's how he ended up losing in the end and having to go to a a little secluded island at one point in time in his career, but he loved gathering that data and using it. It's the same way that we do it now in an automated fashion. He did it in a manual fashion. Very interesting. I think he would be very intrigued. I think Napoleon Bonaparte would walk around, look around, and say, Hey, Chris Carter, you look like a smart guy. Why don't you tell me what's going on with information today? Catch me up on the history I missed. So, Chris, thank you. A wonderful quote to start off our show. And now let's turn to our second panelist, a newcomer to Game Changers. It's Surendra Reddy, founder and CEO of Quantiply. And Surendra has sent me a quote from W. Edwards Deming. Those of you who don't remember, he was an American engineer, statistician, professor, author, lecturer, and management consultant. You could say he was a little bit busy. Uh, In his book, The New Economics for Industry, Government, and Education, Deming championed the work of Walter Schuhart, including statistical process control and a lot of interesting topics. And here's what he's mostly credited for. Deming is best known for his work in Japan following World War II. He worked with the leaders of Japanese industry, and many in Japan credit him as the inspiration for what became known as the Japanese post War Economic Miracle of 1950 to 1960. So there. Here is the quote, a very famous one. In God we trust, all others bring data. Surendra Reddy, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing good, Bonnie. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. Talk to me. You're a big fan of Deming, and uh, talk to me about the quote. It's got the word data in it. We had the word information in the Napoleon quote. Now we've got data in yours. So tell me how this applies to our topic, please. I think maybe Deming studied a lot about Napoleon. Maybe he took all the lessons he learned and come, up, come back with this all must bring data because when you have the data, no one knows the data is accurate or not. So Deming being the guru of quality management, he wanted to look at the accuracy of data before you make any kind of management decisions. 
So today, you know, every organization faces the same challenge too. Do we bring the quality data to the table to make decisions based on this data? So it's a so it's a surprise to see in 1985 when he used mm-hmm. this quote to, you know, when he they recommended the 14 best management practices to the leaders to transform their organizations. First thing he mentioned was everybody must bring data. What he meant by that is if you don't bring your data, so there's no evidence to prove your point. So typically, you know, what's happening today is, you know, whoever has highly paid, they make decisions. They're not uh, evidenced by data. Even after, you know, 20 years of advancement in technologies, we still don't have a quality data to make decisions on. And later on, there's a lot of gurus in the management field, like, uh, you know, uh, think of uh, Kaplan. Robert Kaplan actually wrote a book on the balanced scorecards, which actually measures every aspect of an enterprise to help leaders to make decisions. In the end, what happened, all these tools never actually yielded any good results, and everybody ended up using their own gut and intuition to make decisions. So, you know, in summary, and after 20 years when Deming made this, you know, the, this article or a quote in the Statistician magazine, still we don't use data to the fullest extent. Now it's changing with the big data, advent of, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Now more and more data is transformed into the knowledge that is critical. You know, you start with the information, then data, now the knowledge. Knowledge is really essential for leaders to make decisions. Thank you very much, Surendra. Welcome to the show and, and very pleased that you pulled up such a great quote. Thank you very much. We're talking very short quotes today. And I have another short quote from our third panelist, Mark Norona, the startup engagement lead at SAP Startup Focus. And Mark, we're happy to have you back. We haven't spoken in a couple of years, but you picked a fictitious character. Napoleon Bonaparte was certainly alive at one point, as was W. Edwards Deming. And now we have somebody who is bigger than life. Actually, the character you're quoting was name to the top 50 movie villains of all time in 2013. Anybody thinking money, 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 you can think about Wall Street, Wall Street, Wall Street, Wall Street, and you can think about Gordon Gecko, portrayed incredibly well by Michael Douglas. Uh, Gordon Gecko is a fictional character in the film, and in its sequel, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. Interestingly enough, there was no one individual that Gordon Gecko was modeled on. He was partly Michael Milken. Anybody remembers the junk bond king? Mm -hmm. Indicted on 98 counts of racketeering and fraud in 1989, well, sort of, as well as some other financiers, including uh, Oliver Stone's own father, Louis Stone. They, he was roughly modeled on many, many people who fit that mold. Here's the quote, a good one. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Mark, welcome back. How have you been? I've been good, Bonnie. It's great to be back. Wonderful. I love the quote. We've got data. We've got information. This is very apropos. So talk to me. Are you a big fan of Mr. Gecko? No way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know where you sit on that one. I think that was a perfect answer. So how'd you find the quote, please, Mark? So I've always loved the movie. And I mean, while I'm not a fan of his character, I do like Michael Douglas as an actor. Um, and, you know, we were kids when Wall Street came out and I think in the late 80s. Um, it was a good movie to watch, and um, I remember one thing about the character was that he was all about information. He was all about knowing people, understanding people, situations, markets, and what, and using those to his advantage. And um, <clears throat> so that's how I came across the quote. I was always there somewhere in the back of my head. 
Well, I'm glad it was still lingering in the back of your head. Uh, Mark, what do you think um, if Gordon Gecko met Napoleon Bonaparte? What do you think they would say to each other? I'm putting you on the spot here, but any thoughts on that? Oh, I think they'd get along famously um, because in <laughs> principle, <laughs> in principle, they were both always at war. <laughs> Very well put. You, you, you really stepped up on that one. I appreciate that. Yes, they always were. Thank you very much. I'm going to circle back to Chris Carter. And Chris, I'm going to ask you not only where you're calling from and what you're drinking today in our What's in Your Cup segment, but why don't you give us a, a 30-second elevator pitch on what a Proyo does and then tell us where you are and what you're drinking so we get to know your company a little bit. Certainly. So Proyo is fortunate enough to be the Inc. 5,000, 120th 20th ranked company in the world. We provide SAP hosting managed services and big data analytics for companies who run SAP HANA or other activities around big data. Um, I've been the founder and CEO since we started in in uh, roughly 2012-2013. And this Thank morning, you. I in yep. my cup yes. of coffee is silk. Almond milk, dark chocolate with 50% more calcium than dairy milk because I'm on a diet. <laughs> I'm to get more calcium and more protein. You're starting your diet before New Year's resolutions, which are only about, my goodness, 10 weeks away. My goodness, I, oh, I applaud yuck. that. Chris, I just had a birthday, and I received a Fitbit Alta for one of my gifts from a dear friend. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I didn't know I was doing that many steps here in my home office every day. But in between radio mm-hmm. shows, I will put in a fast 250 steps, then tap the device and say, wow, I added another 250 steps, and I'm loving it. It is so motivating, but I'm going to have to get that, uh, that chocolate milk you're talking about. Do you drink it room temperature or hot or cold or with ice? How do you drink it? I like it it cold. Uh, Ah. I took it cold straight out of the refrigerator and pour it into my cup. Cold and straight up. There you go. Thank you very much, Chris. Surrender ready. Where you you tell us, please, a little bit about Quantiply. Give us your elevator pitch. What do you do there? And then tell us where you are and what you're drinking, please. Uh, Quantiply is a cognitive intelligence software company. And uh, we actually build solutions on top of SAP HANA, HANA Vora. And we provide artificial intelligence-based you know, uh, performance and risk intelligence solutions to enterprises. Our platform is an AI-powered cognitive intelligence mission that actually makes it easy to build applications on top of SAP infrastructure that can think, learn, and talk. That's kind of our, our pitch. And uh, I'm a wine lover, and also, you know, I part-time became a winemaker. Actually, I used to take a lot of Silicon Valley leaders to, you know, get together and make wine. That's a very dirty process. We can stay together as a team, make a wine, and enjoy the wine at the end. That's actually a nice party. And I've been drinking a little bit of big data for a long time and a little bit of coding of all these algorithms and a whole lot of customer conversations around how we can actually make sense of data to them. And actually, I drank with artificial intelligence for a long time because I used to run the research at Xerox Park, big data and cloud mm-hmm. research. And when I get drunk too much with the drinking wine and whatnot, I jump into the big pond of SAP and swim <laughs> around with a purpose to find out and make a difference to the SAP customers. Uh, that was lovely. Thank you. Are you, are you drinking wine right now? No, you're not drinking wine right now. No, it's, it's 9 o'clock. No, it's early for me to drink, but at the end of the day, I'm going to celebrate, and I'll be actually making some good progress on getting some customers. I'm going to enjoy a glass of uh, Joseph Pell's Insignia. That's my favorite wine. 
And is that a red or a white? And and what's the uh, what it, would be it's on the label? Pretty nice. Uh, it's is a blend, a red mm-hmm. blend. And they Thank take Cabernet and just uh, mix up with uh, ah. you know other things too. It's pretty interesting wine, you know. Sounds very serious. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And let's turn to Mark Narona. Mark, where are you? And just why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing at Startup Focus for the past year or so since we haven't caught up in a while. Just briefly and then tell us what you're drinking. Okay. So I'm in Palo Alto, which is where uh, the Startup Focus program is at. And the program itself is now coming on to four years. And from the time when we spoke about a couple of years ago, I think many things have changed. We still continue to be the home for a startup, so to speak, in SAP. Um, but as a program, I think we've, we've grown up. We've started uh, understanding the model of how do you make startups successful? What does success mean? What startups, what feedback can we give these startups? And we meet them in different stages of life cycle. Sometimes we meet them when they're, you know, two kids with a brilliant idea uh, in a dormitory in a university somewhere, um, and they're ready to change the world. And sometimes they're companies with hundreds of millions in funding. And uh, SAP has a role to play. The Startup Focus program has a role to play with all of these uh, startups in their various variants. Um, There's a lot of new technology out there, and over the years, we've kind of learned how to interpret what should we do when we're dealing with the onslaught of technologies like artificial intelligence or uh, IoT or virtual reality or augmented reality. Where do we fit in as a program? How can we add value to the startups, to SAP, and to our customers. And that's what I've been, I've been doing for the past year or so is uh, focusing on engaging with startups and startup communities where we're able to bring in startups into the program uh, whose success we can contribute to in short order. Um, with that said, I think uh, it has definitely taken me into uh, different parts of the Americas, into Canada and into Latin America, um, which has been one of our key focuses last year and this year is to expand the program out in Latin America. Now, what I'm drinking um, is chai, um, which, is, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I'm from, from India, my Indian tea, which is uh, what we call chai. And I always drink tea in the morning. Um, I brew it a particular way, the way most Indians brew it, which is there's milk involved when we boil it. And uh, I think a lot of Tea lovers will most probably start pulling their hair out, but the fact is that <laughs> that is the way that is the way a lot of us drink tea. Um, so today I'm having something that it's a tea I bought in Buenos Aires when I was there. Um, it's made by a lady called Ines Perton, who is allegedly considered to be one of the nine noses in the world. She her her nose is. Uh, you know, at a place where it distinguishes flavors and that uh, many of us normal people are unable to. And this particular tea was made by her for the Dalai Lama. Um, It's based, it has uh, lilac and chrysanthemums, and you don't brew it the regular way. You actually just put it in hot water and drink it as an infusion, so it's done uh, very light as such. But, um, but it's a delicious tea. 
Thank you very much for sharing that. I want to thank our three panelists, and I'll tell the three of you that they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. Uh, Chris and Mark may remember that. So all I'm all I'm drinking is cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug, and I have an orange straw because it's fall here. Very quickly, the temperature dropped by a couple of dozen degrees in the past two days. We're down in the 50s at night, and the gardens are looking like, oh, my God, how am I going to survive? It's very, very cold. It's freezing inside, actually. And so I'm hoping for the turning of the leaves here soon in New York. I can hope, can't I? So we are talking today about startups and big data in the enterprise. A lot to learn from my three very smart panelists. We have Chris Carter from Aproyo, A-P-P-R-O-Y-O. We have Surendra Reddy at Quantiply. I will spell, spell it Q-U-A-N-T-I-P-L-Y and Mark Narone at SAP Startup Focus. And a shout out to Christina Sosa at SAP for assembling this wonderful panel and Manju Banzal at SAP for sponsoring this series. We're going to be right back and talk a lot more about big data, enterprise startups, all that good stuff. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Michael out. In today's globalized world, the competition for customers and marketplace has never been fiercer. Emerging technologies, especially those like big data, can help level the playing field and enable everyone from established enterprises to nimble startups to radically change the status quo. The bottom line, if you embrace technology, you can innovate your way to success. Big data is changing the way we live our lives and do business. Learn how with Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www www.sap.com With new companies like yours competing aggressively for top customers, your strategies and tools must level the playing field and position you well against your larger adversaries. Today, you are faced with global competition for both customers and talent that will drive your business. The bottom line, you need to define what's going to set you apart, and you need to embrace innovation in every facet of your company and your brand. Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Startup Focus with Game Changers. Indeed, let's go back, and we are back, and we're talking about big data, big, big, big data and enterprises, and where do startups come into this mixture? Well, they're key, they're critical, and enterprises need them more and more. We'll find out why. Chris Carter's going to start the roundtable with me, and here's a note from Chris he sent me before the show, very provocative, and he'll explain it. He says, large tech companies are buying tech startups and integrating them into their overall solution set. Chris Carter, let's talk. Yes, Bonnie. Um, you know, that's absolutely correct. Look at just what happened this past week. Salesforce.com bought two tech startup companies, both of them that were making less than a million dollars in revenue, and they only acquired them for the technology because of what they can bring into Salesforce.com and to their customer base going forward. And so you see a lot more enterprises looking at these smaller startups that have a specific 
fix or something that they want or they need with their company, rather than going out and trying to build it themselves, they acquire. And it's working quite nicely for the startup entrepreneurs out there in the world. And Chris, tell me something. How do you get in the path? We talked uh, last week and the week before here on on uh, season two of Startup Focus. We talked about the dancing of the mice with the elephants, meaning how do startups get noticed by the enterprises? So before I move on and bring Surendra and Mark into this part of the conversation, how do you get to be that startup tech tech startup that gets noticed and becomes the the lucky winner, shall we say, who is yeah. brought up and brought in by the enterprise? How do you do that? So there's. I I always say it's who you know, especially in Silicon Valley, especially in the tech world, especially in big data, who you know that can influence with other organizations. And then, of course, you've got to proactively talk about your solution, and that solution has to be um, a very strong solution. It may not be the best of breed in that particular realm, um, but it does need to be a solution that's going to fit fit a need uh, within a specific realm, and then just market yourself properly to all the venture capital firms and all the other organizations that are out there um, that are pitching companies and products and solutions to these organizations. But at the end of the day, it's who you know and who's going to help you get into the right company with the right need at the right time. So you need to be on the radar. We'll talk about that more. Thank you very much, Chris. Very insightful. Surendra, join us. What do you think about big companies bringing in the startups on the tech world. That's a very interesting trend on the rise recently, actually. Companies are acquiring very early stage companies because as the company get to, you know, basically acquire more and more attraction, it gets very difficult for them to integrate into their mainstream stack. Sometimes it's good for them to get the very early stage so that they can pick and choose the technologies appropriate for them and integrate into the big company technology stack. So, yeah, that's a very interesting point brought up by Chris. You know, I think also, you know, as companies wait longer period of time, you get more customers, then you have the path to integration, path to all this kind of uh, the dance you need to do with all this, uh, the, the complex technology stack, is get uh, really, really, very hard. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, thank you, Surrender. Mark, join us. What do you think? How do you get in front of these big tech companies? And then we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Chris and talk about the role of big data in all this, so the position of big data in, in why this is happening. So, Mark, what do you think about how do these mice dance with these elephants? So I think there's, there's basically two phenomenons that we see. One is, as Chris pointed out, that, you know, there's the acquisition, um, hungry, uh, tech large giant which is you know buying up startups and bringing them in um, and that's not limited to tech it's uh, you know it's happening in all industry sectors um, but then there's the other route which is um, just thinking of them as a as a vendor or as a partner to that enterprise and actually doing business with them and we see both of them and within the startup folks program obviously uh, we focus on the second route but what we notice is is two things that are happening. One is a lot of the large companies, if you were to you know, even maybe include tech in it as well, but a lot of the large companies, they're not young companies. Um, they've been around for 20, 30, 40 years uh, in many cases. And um, it is a big challenge, as Surindra was saying, that for them to really adopt 
the latest in technology and actually bring that into their enterprise is not easy. It's a lot easier for the younger companies. It's a lot easier for maybe even the big startups that are all, as we say, digital native or, you know, big Mm -hmm. data native today. But the larger corporations, you know, the General Motors or, you know, the Nestle's or these sort of companies, it's not easy for them, even if they understand the value of these technologies. So the startups present an interesting route for them to be able to, you know, to harness that value um, that they have in their enterprise. And that's a phenomenon that we see. And I think we'll see a lot more of that. When it comes to the other piece, which is around acquisitions, that's always been a trend in the industry. We're seeing this happen today with artificial intelligence companies. Um, There's a lot of, there's an acquisitive, you know, wind in the air. Um, And for obvious reasons. I mean, it's a very specialized area. It's very clear that almost all of our enterprise products or our consumer products are going to have to demonstrate some form of of intelligence, of context, of better understanding the consumer, corporate or otherwise. Um, and so there's, you know, that's a great opportunity for startups. And it exists in so many of the other areas as well, whether it's augmented reality, virtual reality, IoT. I mean, many of these technology areas where there's a lot of acquisition going on out there. In terms of what startups should do, I mean, to begin with, solve a problem, okay? And the problem can exist in the application layer, in the infrastructure layer, the data layer. I think that's the first piece, that solve a problem. Um, And then to Chris's point, um, you know, there is now a very well-evolved method, an ecosystem of how startups position themselves, be it for acquisition or be it for for organic growth. I think it's a question of once you know that you're solving a problem, is getting out in front of people, uh, acquiring a few early stage customers, um, which is a major credibility factor, and then getting out in front of the venture community and the large corporates that you are targeting for, uh, be it an acquisition or for other forms of growth. Thank you very much, Mark. Chris, I'm going to circle back to you. I want to be sure we we focus everything laser sharp on the idea of big data. And when I opened, I talked about the challenges big companies are having, big tech companies, big companies in every industry being agile enough to deal with the big data that's coming in. So why don't we we focus on that specifically now that we've covered some really good points with the whole panel. Chris, what do you see as that? What are the issues? Why can't big companies deal with big data? What's the problem? I see the big problem as very simple as you have these very monolithic organizations that are billion-dollar firms that aren't willing to change rapidly in order to utilize what big data is and all about. It still takes committees to do this and committees to get this information, committees to do that. And then you've got people who have been within these monolithic agencies for 20, 30 years who feel that they're being impeded on within their specific area in their organization. I was just talking to a, a very large multi, multi-billion dollar firm and a gentleman pulled me inside and said, well, this is taking away from what my team does. And I looked at him and said, it's not your team, it's your company. You might want to consider the fact that this data is going to help your company and in turn will help your team. And he was all flustered, and they're not willing to make those changes. Now, the companies are, there are some firms that are willing to do that, 
you've got new CEOs, new CIOs, new CTOs who are willing to make those changes and understand what those changes are going to do for their company. And, and those are the ones that you gravitate towards and hope that the others will start to move out and new breed will come in. So until those mindsets change, it's just going to be a lot of talk and less, less fast-paced action. That's a pretty scathing and probably very realistic. Let's see what Surrender Ready has to say. Surrender, agree or disagree with Chris? I agree 100% with Chris. Actually, interestingly enough, there's a research done by PricewaterCoopers in uh, UK. They surveyed around 6,000 executives to find out why they are not strategic enough. You know, they found out that it is the vision lacking at the top that's actually not bringing the data into decision-making process. And that's as a result, it actually gets siloed, as Chris pointed out. And, you know, people talk about, I own the data, hugging the data to them versus giving the data or bringing the data to the table as a Deming advice to everyone, all must bring data, right? But no one brings the data because they are afraid to show the evidence. They are afraid to use the data against them, right? That's that's kind of a lot of uh, sociological issues or, uh, you know, social engineering issues in actually bringing data into the mainstream thinking of an enterprise. Mm. Mark Narona, agree or disagree? What side of the fence are you sitting on this one? Uh, agree to a certain extent, and it's interesting that you know both Chris and Surendra are entrepreneurs. They're startup guys, and so they see the challenge of something that you know is self-evident to them. Um, as far as where I come from on this is that I would only say that first persevere because this is going to change and to that uh, speaking to the defense of you know the large corporates it's not easy for them um, it's mm-hmm. even if they want to these are large corporations with people processes technology that they've invested in over decades and for them to turn on a dime um, that's not in their DNA um, but that said I think when it comes to big data my belief is that the last decade or so, you know, a lot of the heavy lifting, so to speak, just, you know, whether it's conceptually, whether it's the infrastructure, these things have actually been done. So, I mean, when you really think about uh, Hadoop, um, it's been around for over, almost over 10 years now. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's so much that's happened from that point on till today with enterprises, the earliest of the adopters doing pilots, you know, the, the, uh, the rest of them, you know, the large the majority of firms which stood on, this, on the sidelines looking in and kind of beginning to understand a little more of what they could do. The latest set of solutions which are now actually built on big data technologies themselves, be they coming from startups or otherwise. Um, so I think there's a, there's a clear understanding across the enterprise that this is important. It will require us to make significant changes, um, and it's beginning to happen. So, Chris, Surendra, my suggestion to you is hang in there. You'll see the change coming. <laughs> Thank yep. you very much, Mark. Chris, you want to wrap this one up? I'm going to move on to a topic from, uh, from Surendra's list, list in a minute, but I want to know, is there anything you want to say about the other comments? You know, he, he does speak the, speak of the truth, as they say, mm-hmm. um, and it is changing. Uh, it is hard for individuals to push a mountain rather than pushing a pebble. 
uh, as was once told by an old-time philosopher from Asia. Uh, and it will take time. Uh, and coming from both the uh, coming from an organization that was multi billions of dollars to an entrepreneur that's a company that's millions of dollars, we see it from both sides of the fence. So it, it is we are all accurate in our assumptions and our predictions. Thank you very much. We didn't even get to predictions at the end of the show yet. Can't wait for those. Let's talk about data science. Sarenda, I'm looking at your notes. You're talking about data science and swimming with the sharks. Big data and data science promise to bring unprecedented levels of insight and efficiency to everything from working with data to working with customers to the big one, curing cancer. To successfully deliver on this promise, traditional enterprises are building data lakes and hiring data scientists. I do not know what a data lake is. Sarenda, can you explain this and just flesh it out and then we will see what Mark and Chris have to say. Yeah, the data lakes is basically built on top of Hadoop. So organizations want to collect as much data they want to collect and store it so the data is accessible to everyone. And uh, organizational entities and relationships can be extracted from different relational stores and also can be stored. They're now using one data store. You can actually do the deep insights and learning from these data. So it's kind of collect all data in one place, give access to everybody in the organization through proper access controls, then everybody can actually mine into the data and discover insights. This is a concept evolved from making Hadoop usable to the organizations to benefit from big data. And uh, the problem with that approach is, you know, the context is lost. If you collect the data first, analyze later, so you don't have the context. You don't have the temporal, spatial context in the data. It's only all you have is the bits and bytes stored in the data lakes. And then you need to bring really, you know, very specialized skills like statisticians and mathematicians and data scientists to really look into this data because you're looking into the data post facto. You're not looking in situ. So that creates a lot of challenges. So that model has to change. It goes back to the Chris point of, you know, what are the complexities coming on the way to really leverage the power of big data. One big thing is the data science thing. Because these data scientists does not exist in any organization. They don't have resources to hire data scientists. Even if you have resources to hire data scientists, you can't find one. can solve all your problems. Mm-hmm. Instead, we should all go back to Deming's principle, right? Everybody must bring their own data. That's, that's actually fundamental. Rather than just collecting data first, hiring data scientists to analyze it post facto, so what I'm learning is, you know, running park research for a couple of years and, you know, looking at uh, petabytes of data at, uh, at a lot of customer applications, analyzing the data post-factor doesn't give any indications. It has to be analyzed in real time. It has to be available when and where it's needed. So that only happens if everybody wants data, everybody curate it and enrich it from their point of view. Then the data is immediately usable. Thank you. And, and Sarenda, I just want to give a little background for those of our listeners who don't are not familiar with uh, Xerox PARC. PARC is stand for PARC Palo Alto Research Center Incorporated, formerly Xerox PARC, a research and development company in Palo Alto, California, with a distinguished reputation for contribute, contributions to information technology and hardware systems. So that was your background, right? You were at PARC, correct? That's right. I see you for big data there. Wonderful. Thank you. I just wanted to give a little context to what you were talking about because not everybody around the world, many of them may, but I want to make sure everybody knows. Thank you. Mark Narona, talk to us about the topic that uh, Surrender just gave us. 
Well, I think I, I want to pick up on one word that Surendra used, and, I, and in principle, I completely agree that putting data into a data lake um, isn't going to really create too much value for you. And that's one of the challenges, frankly, that you know enterprises and corporations have been dealing with, which is that uh, when they did the pilots, when they set up the infrastructure to, to capture the data, well, you know, they expected magic to happen, and it did not. Okay, because just putting data into you know a big data lake does not create magic. The magic comes from the insight, and in order to generate that insight, you know, many corporations have been kind of scratching their heads, saying, saying that okay, so do we now need to hire armies of data scientists? Is that what's going to solve the problem? Well, not necessarily, um, because data science in many ways will help you. Uh, find the patterns, create the models, but it might still not help you um, generate the kind of insights um, that, for example, we're now seeing being touted about by, oh, this is going to happen as a result of artificial intelligence. Um, you know, this is a, this is, there are so many technology and technology deployment-related issues in this entire spectrum. I still believe we're, we're, we're in the early days, but the good news is we've put in the data infrastructure we need. Um, we've dropped the price of these technologies. We made them more accessible so that now what I believe we're beginning to see is corporations grappling with the fact that we've got the data and now we've got these intelligence technologies, be they at the machine learning level or at the AI deep learning um, sort of technologies. And now we're beginning to figure out how do we use these technologies to drive insights from them, to add that context and drive insights from them. Again, it's early days for these type of applications. There's a lot of buzz around them. Um, but I believe that this is what the future holds for us. Yeah. Thank you. Chris, I'm going to circle around to you. Thoughts on what's been talked about? So everybody has been right on track with where I feel that things are going from a data perspective to big data um, to how companies are going to start using them. Um, I feel like we're all in a mutual admiration society right here on this call. <laughs> and it's, so it's good to see that we are all seeing the direction that we're going because not everything is fail-safe as of yet, and the aspects of data lakes that was mentioned earlier, you know, we do use data lakes, and we want companies to kind of look at those, and we look at HANA, and we look at other activities. So there's so many different components. You know, we want to recognize what those components are, realize how they can be used with firms and, our, and ourselves, reinforce the capabilities of each of them, and then you get the rewards at the end of it. And so all of these solutions and tool sets that we've been discussing are really moving us in a path forward that, to me, it's going to be, I, I, I can't wait. It's like the next person, the first person walking on the moon and how we got there. Uh, I'm excited for it. 
Thank you very much. I like the optimism there. I'm going to, in the interest of time, we're about five minutes away from our predictions round. I'm going to jump to some statements from Mark Nerona's list. And here's something very interesting, Mark, an observation you made. You say the evolution to being a data-driven culture and enterprises is still in process. Existing investments in technology, people, and processes don't get ripped out and replaced instantly. And there continues to be resistance in large corporations to move their data to a public cloud. So what's the bottom line on all of this, Mark? So first of all, Bonnie, just I want to make uh, mention that I picked up on this quote a little while ago from, and I'd like to attribute this to a gentleman called Matt Turk, um, now who I frankly hold in very high regard because he seems to have an advanced form of intelligence when he talks about mm-hmm. data startups. Um, and this is something I wanted to share here. And I think what, what we're noticing is that, you know, when you really look at this big data revolution and you look at the technologies driving it, it's about a decade old, okay, give or take. And a decade is not good enough to change a culture. Mm-hmm. And when you look at large corporations, and I'm not talking about the younger corporations, the startups themselves that have become unicorns or whatever, you know, monster unicorns, whatever you want to call them, right? These are all digital native. They are relatively younger firms that have had cultures that are, are you know, founded in a digital native world. But when you talk about the larger, the older corporations, then understanding what it means to be data-driven is something that many large corporations are grappling with. I mean, Surendra mentioned it, uh, Chris mentioned it. And so this is still, in my mind, it is an evolution. And currently, with the state of technology, um, there has definitely been a certain amount of heavy lifting that has been done. And so technology is becoming an enabler to help these corporations um, understand how to use data, how to use technology, slip it into their organizations, make it part of their cultures, and then drive the changes that will naturally occur in those organizations, be it in their structures, be it in their processes, be it in their people. Uh, But this is an evolution. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, Technology is an enabler and an accelerator. And so over the span of the next 10 years, we will see this evolution take place. Thank you very much. And I was looking up while you were speaking. You're talking about Matthew Turk, who is an assistant professor at the School of Information Sciences at the University of Illinois. Is that the right one? Oh, this is Matt Turk based out of the East Coast. He's with uh, First Mark Capital, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Um, A lot of Matt Turks. I will find the right one. I was going to put the quote in and put it into Twitter with his handle, but I think I have the wrong one. Thank you. Let's quickly go around to uh, Chris Carter. Thoughts about the data-driven culture being still in process. What do you observe? Well, it's 100% still in process. This is something that's just really come to the, the limelight uh, uh, the media has gotten a hold of it in the last few years. It's something that we technologists have been utilizing and utilizing big data, uh, but now it's got a term and now it's got sexy and people starting to figure out what to do with it. Um, you know, the launch of Hadoop many years ago and then Cloudera came into the picture and they started pushing things out. And now big data with SAP HANA, 
well, in-memory databases were out there years ago, um, column rows and such. So it is, it is literally at the tippy tip 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 of the pin, as they would say, because so many people are now finding the text and trying to figure out how to use it in the best regard. Now, mind you, what we've done in just the last five years alone with big data and the applications and the being able to use it with these organizations that are willing to take it to the next level is 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 a hundredfold, maybe even a thousandfold compared to where we were 10, 20 years ago, of course, when we were starting to use this information. So it's really starting to move forward, and it is it is so at the tip of the pin. It's incredible. Thank you, Chris. Surendra, I'm going to give you just about one minute to respond to all of this, and then I have to make sure we give you each a 60-second prediction lightning round. So, Surendra, what do you have to say about this? And by the way, Mark, I did find the correct Matt Turk. It's M-A-T-T-T-U-R-C-K. I had the wrong last name, so I have tweeted appropriately. Go ahead. Surrender? Yeah, data-driven culture is a pretty interesting uh, thing on the rise in every organization, but there's a lot of others to deal with. The one being the cultural thing, right? People are afraid about, uh, you know, bringing the data into their nations. So now what's happening is the new science is emerging, basically bringing both the human and machine intelligence together called augmented intelligence. I think this may accelerate the path to data-driven culture as opposed to be in the past. Okay. Thank you. Chris Carter, circling back to you. 60 seconds. Give me a prediction. If we met again any time between, let's, let's put a cap on it, any time between now and 2020, which is just a little over three years away, oh, my goodness, what would be different about this topic? Big data, data-driven culture in the enterprise, and the help that big companies need or the advantages and the benefits they can gain from bringing in startups in tech. So talk to me, Chris. Prediction, 60 seconds. Go. Prediction on the enterprise is it? still going to be slow. Um, we are not going to see a rapid deployment of it. As uh, we've all talked about here, these monolithic companies take a lot of time. What you are going to see is you're going to see these uh, organizations acquire more companies, uh, bring in what is needed rather than build it to make things move a little bit faster for them. And you're also going to see organizations and entrepreneurs um, that are going to be uh, moving forward on a lot more very one-off, one-specific solution app need for this industry, and you're going to see a lot more of those being created in the next three years. Thank you very much. Three-year cap on that. I appreciate that. And let's go to Surendra Reddy at Quantiply. Surendra, look into the crystal ball. Tell me what you see in the next, between now and three years. I see an artificial intelligence is emerging on the central stage of human lives in the next four years or so. And applications of AI is going to change our lives and the way we learn, the way we shop, even the way we love and care too, you know, with all the virtual reality and all those things. And relationships still going to be real, but experience is going to be surreal in the context of all this technology. And there's going to be a lot of transformation in the field of medicine. Actually, the way we get treated, the way we get the you know recommendations from the doctor and whatnot is the application of artificial intelligence. Thank you very much. I like to hear that. I hope it's a good thing. And let's turn to Mark Nerona. Mark, I can give you a whole – I can actually give you 90 seconds because your colleagues on the panel were so concise. So, Mark, 90 seconds. What do you predict? Okay. Um, well, if it's 2020 – onwards that we're talking about, then I think we're going to stop talking about big data. 
to begin with. Mm. Um, we are now going to start talking about things like artificial intelligence. We might even coin a new name for it. It just seems to be kind of, it doesn't flow naturally, artificial intelligence. We might call it machine intelligence or we might start calling it something else. But I think we'll start talking about things like contextual applications. We'll start talking about context. We'll, we'll start talking more about the applications of big data as a result of technologies like AI, technologies like virtual reality, technologies like augmented reality, um, resulting in a, a much better understanding of context and as a result, resulting in applications that, that are being piloted today. Um, that's, that's what I feel. It will, at the end of the day, it will all be about data. It will generate significant amounts of data. But we'll stop talking about big data per se, uh, like we have over the span of the last few years, because we've all started realizing that, yes, data is important, but it's in the background. It's now the last 10 years that we've put in the infrastructure, and we know how to handle these volumes of data. Um, and now we're focusing on the technologies and the applications that we can build on top of this. Um, and so that's what I see happening, is, a, is, a, is an artificial intelligence or an intelligence-driven world where applications, devices have context, um, and the data that they're generating actually comes back, is fed back into our experiences um, exactly to what Surendra said. It's fed back into our experiences to make them of more value to us. Thank you very much. Very profound. An intelligence-driven world where applications have context. I'm going to tweet that. Thank you very much. I want to thank Chris Carter at Aproyo, Surendra Reddy at Quantiply, and Mark Narona at SAP Startup Focus. And a shout-out again to Christina Sosa, who put together this wonderful panel. Christina, home run again. You're doing a great job. I'm looking at my, over, uh, my other computer like Christina's popping up and going to wave to me. And Manju Bonsal at SAP with Startup Focus, who is sponsoring this series. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've learned something. I hope you've learned a lot, all of you out there around the world. If you know someone, you, somebody who is in a startup, who is thinking about becoming a startup, please tell them about our series, Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. We're here live most Tuesdays, 12 noon Eastern. You can compute the, you can calculate the time in other time zones here on the Business Channel. So I'm going to say thank you to Michael, our engineer at World Talk Radio, the Business Channel, and here we go with our shout-out. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.